American Battlefield Trust members have helped save 50,000 acres in 24 states. This land stretches chronologically from the Lexington Green to Appomattox Courthouse and geographically from Minnesota to New Mexico. If you would like to help save America's battlefields, please log on to battlefields.org. Shepherd University's George Tyler Moore Center for the Study of the Civil War and Department of History invite undergraduate students from across the country to come and spend a semester at their historic crossroads in Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Their semester-long Civil War experience will immerse a select group of undergraduate students in collaborative learning, interpretive field experiences, digital humanities projects, public history programs, and a war and society approach to military history. For more information, please visit shepherd.edu slash Civil War Semester or contact the George Tyler Moore Center via phone at 304-876-5429. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. My name is John. I am the Tattoo Historian. And, you know, I wanted to come at you this week with something a little different. Uh, I don't have a guest this week because this is a very important time of me being in business by myself. And that is, it's approximately one year since I went into business for myself as an independent historian. And it's a very uh, dark place for some people to think about being because it's an unknown for a lot of people. You hear a lot of horror stories. You hear a lot of, uh, you know, people who are scared to death for even trying to do what uh, I've tried to do over the last year. So I wanted to come on here, and I wanted to give you a little bit of a uh, background as far as what the first year of being an independent historian is like. So if you're a student of history, uh, if you're a student at a university or you're in high school, you're thinking about going into the history field as an independent historian, this episode is going to appeal to you. If you've been in the field a while and you're thinking about breaking out and doing some stuff independently, again, this one is going to appeal to you. But also, it gives outsiders a little bit of a taste of what it's like being on the inside as far as being independent. Um, it is a different kind of an ocean to try to navigate. And definitely from, for someone like me who has been in the weeds as far as being in an archival setting, this has been a 180-degree turn from where I used to be. So I think it's very important that we go over uh, where this thing has come from, what has transpired over the last year, and talk about people who have helped this entire process and what has been going on through trial and error. It's a, It's been a wonderful experience for me to be independent, and this is why. I have a brain that is basically thriving on chaos. If you don't thrive on chaos, if you can't take four, five, six things coming at you at one time, don't be an independent historian. In fact, don't even be an entrepreneur uh, because you're going to have to put out a number of fires all at one time. 
and you're going to get hit with everything at one time. It's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if you're a historian or if you are uh, you own a shoe store or you own you know whatever kind of, of business. There's always going to be work to be done, and you don't clock out after eight hours. Uh, I've had a lot of days where it's been 16 hours, uh, sometimes 18 hours, just by doing programming, answering emails, phone calls, uh, face-to-face uh, meetings, uh, and research, posting. It's just been a crazy, hectic year. But that's what I knew had to be done for the first year of being employed uh, for myself. And as I said, it's not for everybody. Uh, if you love the idea of working in an archive, uh, you know, more power to you. I, I love the fact that you guys can do that. I just can't do it. But we need you to be able to do that because I need someone to turn the lights on and, and pull the documents for me. Uh, I need someone to unlock the door at the, you know, at the historical site so I can come in and do what needs to be done. It's a very niche thing to be an independent historian and not be an author. Uh, we think of independent historians and we think of people who have a number of books out or they're constantly writing articles. Uh, I haven't done that. In fact, I just, I shouldn't say I haven't done that. I just finished my first magazine article uh, and it was a very trying experience because in the middle of putting out those five or six fires going on at one time, I have to do research for an article and I have to have it in by a certain time. And I had a great deadline. It wasn't like it needed to be in next week, but uh, it was one of those things where it was just something else added to the pile. And that's the first thing you have to think about is you have to think about your workload and how much work do you want to take on. And that goes back to one thing, and it's one of the most key aspects to being uh, in business for yourself, no matter what that business is, and that is self-awareness. Understanding what your strengths are, finding your lane, and staying in that lane. Just run that lane until it runs out. And this whole idea that uh, you can fake it till you make it, that's a whole bunch of crap. Uh, out out here, you know, people people have to be authentic or you're going to be, you know, shown as being inauthentic pretty quickly. And I have been lucky enough to be able to embrace my niche while being who I am. And what I mean by that is I can showcase my chops as a historian, but I don't have to wear a suit because I don't want to wear a suit. Uh, I don't have to uh, look a certain way. I don't have to be a certain way. I just have to be myself. And when you can do that, when you are self-aware and you take the noise from people who say, well, you need to look like this or you shouldn't look like that or you should do it this way and you shouldn't do it that way. When you can take that noise and allow it to go in one ear and out the other and you just showcase your talent through yourself, being who you really are, that's when you're in that lane. That's when you're in that zone. And luckily, uh, my lane hasn't been filled. Uh, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like the HOV lane uh, when you're trying to get to work. 
Everyone else seems to be in those other lanes, and they're going 20 miles an hour tops, and you're zooming along at 60. Uh, that's that's the way it's kind of felt for me, but I will tell you why it's felt that way. It's felt that way because someone allowed me onto the highway. Someone allowed me to get over into the other lane, and then someone allowed me to get over into that HOV lane, into my lane. It's all about networking and selling the brand, marketing the brand. I'll tell you this, my friends. I bet in the first year of being in business, 20%, maybe 25 tops, has been in history. I guarantee you 80 to 75% of what I've done in the first year is marketing. Now, luckily, on top of having a master's degree, I do have a two-year degree in accounting. So I had some marketing classes. I had some business background. So I could utilize that for the first time. Little did I know I would ever use that again. But it's all about selling that brand and letting people know what you can do and how you can do it and why it's a little bit different than everybody else. And it's really helped to get the foundation set for this building, uh, for this project. And now it seems like in the first year, uh, as I cross this threshold going into the second year, it feels like I'm getting ready to build the first story of this house or of this skyscraper, however long it goes. That's every year is a floor, and we'll see how that goes. But someone allowed me onto that highway, and I didn't do this all myself. Uh, it's all about networking. It's all about being yourself showcasing your talents and allowing people to see that you have passion for your subject. You're not faking it till you make it. You're not a poser. You are trying to do something the right way. And let me tell you, when you can embrace that, the world is your oyster. Now you're not going to make tons and tons of money, possibly, doing this. You know, especially in your first year, you're going to do a lot of work for free. But if you can do that and you can make it through that first year, then things can start to open up. Now, in my first year, I've had numerous organizations and numerous people personally help me out. And what I mean by that is they've opened the door a little bit for me and they've allowed me to either A, showcase my talents or B, make a fool of myself. That's what you need. You need that foot in the door. If you're a young historian who wants to do things a little bit differently and wants to be your own historian, your own independent historian, you need that person to crack that door open for you. That's just the way it is. You can't go up to the building, so to speak, up to the house and kick the door in. I know sometimes you feel like doing that. That's not how it works. Uh, you'll be made a fool quick and you will be gone. So it's all about building relationships with like-minded people. Now, I've made friendships along the way with a variety of individuals in the field. These include academics, uh, people who work for the National Park Service, people who work for nonprofits, people who work in the museum industry and in the archive world. That's allowed me to showcase to them what I can do. And many times I was their friend first before they realized what I was trying to accomplish later on. 
Some of these people have known me for 10 years. Some have known me for five. Some just knew about me two years ago. But they are my friends first. And I'm not saying you go out and sell yourself to your friends as a historian. But if your friends work in the history field, maybe there's a way that you could uh, work something out with them to do a free talk, to help lead a tour. It's one way to start getting your brand out there. This is especially good advice for you young historians. For those of you in high school, for those of you in your undergraduate work, hell, for those of you in your graduate work. This is important. Don't use your friends. Help your friends. I often say, you know, when I go talk to uh, peers of mine in the history field, how can I help you? That's, that's my phrase. How can I help you? What do you need? And many times they'll open up to me and they'll tell me, well, we can't get this done, but we would like to see if you can do that. Okay, let's try it. I'll put my brand on the line. Let's try it. That has helped me build something over the last year that I thought would take three years. My three-year plan, which I had from the start, uh, which some people say don't make one, just go out and do something, that's fine. That's me being self-aware. I need a three-year plan. So my three-year plan suddenly became a six-month plan because I hit a niche in the history field that other people weren't doing. You can do the same in whatever field you work in. You can find your niche, and you can make that work for you. But by all means, make it your own project. Don't go out and copy off someone else, because you'll get called out. It's like I said in episode zero, way back when, when I started this podcast. I want to be known as my own historian. I don't want to be like other historians. I respect them. I respect where we come from as historians. I respect tradition. I absolutely do. But I don't want to be the next David McCullough or or whomever. And like I say, that's all respect to him. He's the only one to me who can be David McCullough. I need to be my own person. Um, that's just how I feel about it. So that also leads back to that authenticity. As I said, I'm the same person on a stage as I am in a crowd or on the street. I don't put on a guise. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not two-faced. And that's going to be harsh to some people, but let me explain myself. I will treat you the same way on the street as I would in the crowd, as I would on the stage, because that's who I am. I can't put a guise on to do a program because some people are going to start to question which one is the real one. And that's when you get stuck in a rut. And people will say, well, yeah, he's professional that way, but he's a jerk on the street. I don't want to be known as that. I want to be known as the guy that people can fist bump, you know, wherever. Whether people can come up and shake my hand. People can come up and introduce themselves, and I don't have an ego. That's what I want to be known for. And I think that's really helped. Because not only do... Uh, not only can organizations come to me and ask for assistance or can ask me how they can help me, 
but they know when I go out and I'm sponsored by them, I'm not a jerk to people who could be their next client or their next customer or their next person to donate money to their uh, preservation efforts or to their museum. They know what they get when they get me. And I love that. And that's why I love face-to-face conversations and face-to-face meetings now more than ever. And as an independent historian, if you're going to dive into this as an independent, I beg you to reach out to these organizations. And if you can, meet with them face-to-face. Meet with some representative of that organization face-to-face. Because that's going to allow them to see who you are and you're going to see who they are. And that could really help you understand the process. It also helps you get over that little stage fright you may have too. Because you're uh, basically blind dating with someone else in the history field uh, who could be a client. You know, it's speed dating. Okay, we have an hour to figure each other out and see where this goes. I really enjoy that. I enjoy being able to speak with people one-on-one and go over what their needs are and then ask them how I can help. That's what I do. And through that, in the last year, I've had an amazing amount of opportunities to talk with some people I never thought I would be able to talk with, especially in the first year of being independent. Um, That's been a shock to me, honestly. And it's really opened my eyes to want to do more. Because I want to say this again, and I, I think I said this back in in the first episode, in episode zero, in my introductory episode. I, for about 10 years, uh, had a problem with alcohol. I drank too much beer, way too much beer. I liked beer. It liked me in return. I wasted that time. Now, that's me being self-aware. I wasted my time being a fool with alcohol. When I started this project, this was my therapy. This was my way of giving back and allowing me to live the next 10 years better than I had lived the previous decade drinking. Now, this July, I will be six years sober. So I didn't start this right as I went sober. I cleaned myself up. Uh, I got a really good job, uh, and then I left that job to do this. But when you have a passion for something larger than yourself, and you're no longer only thinking about your needs, you're thinking about the needs of others and the needs of other organizations, that, that is the key. And I found that that works out tremendously well for me because not only am I helping another organization out, a nonprofit, uh, a small business, not only am I helping them out, but unknowingly, they're helping me out because this is my therapy. This is where I seek my solace. And that is so very important to someone like me because I don't have to be the one on the stage or the one giving the talk. I just need to host it. You know, I just need to put the Tattoo Historian Presents and I need to do the logistics for it, and I need to get the speakers, and then we just roll. That's my therapy. When I stay busy, I'm good to go. And this process of being an independent historian has allowed me to be on the go constantly. 
I've never put more miles on my car than I have in the last year. Uh, I have never spent so much time away from home than I have in the last year. And I have the ability now to spend even more time away from home doing even more programming. And that means a lot to me because now I can go out and spread the word about what I'm trying to do here. And that means so much. So before I dive any further into this podcast, um, I want to give a special shout out to many of those who have helped me in the first year. Um, I create a list and uh, I hope I got everybody, but I'm sure I might have missed a few people, and to them I apologize. Um, but uh, the list uh, of people who have helped me in the first year, either by inviting me to events, allowing me to put events on, um, assisting me with sponsorships. Uh, this list is longer than I thought it would be in the first year, but I want you all to hear it. Because this is the work that's been done in one year. So, we're going to start off. The Gary Owen Irish Pub in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Civil War Institute of Gettysburg College. Gettysburg National Military Park. American Battlefield Trust. The Gettysburg Foundation. The Gettysburg Heritage Center. Eisenhower National Historic Site. Civil War Trails. Oatlands Historical House and Gardens. The National Museum of Civil War Medicine the George Tyler Moore Center for the Study of the Civil War, Echo Films Productions, Cross Cannons Collective of Pennsylvania, Victorian Photography Studio, the Mosby Heritage Area Association, the Western Front Association East Coast Branch, Western Ontario University, and the Royal Scots Upper Thames Military Reenactment Society. And as I said, I'm sure there are a few that I, I forgot to list on here. Um, I know that uh, my friend Will of the Civil War Digital Digest has been giving me a lot of feedback on my programming, so thank you, Will, for that. And there are many more uh, to come. And I'm so thankful for each one of those. Each one of those has allowed me to build something that I never thought I'd be able to build in my life. I'm building a legacy. And I'm not saying that my legacy is better than anybody else's. It's not why I'm doing it. But this is what I have now, and this is very important. If you're going to be an independent historian or you're going to be an entrepreneur, I think it's about a legacy. Are people going to remember you for something, something good? And that is where the fire within me comes from. I want to leave behind something good to be remembered by. I want to help people understand history in new and exciting ways. I want to collaborate with organizations who want to promote history in new and different ways, who are trying to raise money for preservation efforts, who are trying to increase educational awareness and historical memory. That's what I want to do. That's the goal. The goal is to get more history to the masses so that we don't forget it. Now, I think it was, it was John Meacham who said that, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. We, uh, we need to be a part of helping people understand that story and understanding where it does rhyme. And these organizations that I listed, they have helped me so much in the first year, many of them without knowing how much they helped. It could have been just inviting me to 
a membership meeting. It could have been uh, filming me for a 30-minute interview. Uh, there, there are people on this, on this list who helped me one time, and that led to something else. The doors just kept opening. It was getting through that first door. It's getting on that highway and getting in your lane. That's the key. Get in that lane. Know your lane. Stay in your lane. Self-awareness. Having empathy towards these organizations. And having empathy towards those who may not have learned what you do. As in my case, history. Maybe people didn't learn their history in school because, to them, it was boring. Because they had a bad teacher. Or because they just weren't into it at that time, but now they're ready to go. Empathy. We lack context sometimes when we tell people that someone doesn't care about history. Well, there's a reason they don't care about it. But we lack context. I'm not that kind of person. I, I don't sit back and judge people who don't like history. Uh, I try to allow people to understand they're a part of history. What I say in the first episode, we're all biographies waiting to be written. We're all going to be a historical narrative in some way. A little speck in it is all I'm going to be, but that's fine. But being an independent historian has been challenging. Uh, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. It's not easy. Uh, there, There are days where you don't know if something's going to work, if something's going to blow up in your face, um, if you're going to get some more hate mail. Uh, you know, that, that happens. But let me tell you, for someone like me, who has a brain who goes a 1,000 miles an hour, which goes a 1,000 miles an hour, and needs to have multiple things coming at me at one time, this is my lane. If you're not like that, you need to look the traditional route of doing history because that's your lane. And I'm going to need, you know, you guys in that lane to help me in my lane because we're going the same direction down the highway. That's what's important. There's, every one of us is a part of the process. We just do it differently. I could never, ever uh, work a nine-to-five in an archive. You guys are too strong for me to do that. I can't do that. Some of you listening may be like, well, I can never work 16 hours a day and not know what next week is going to bring. That's fine. Uh, that's just me. That's my self-awareness. That's what I thrive on. That has been the story of the first year of the Tattoo Historian as a business. It's been branding. It's been marketing. And it's been sitting around at night, making a list of ideas and hoping one of them sticks. And this is something else that I want you to keep in mind. You're going to hear a lot of no's before you hear that yes. Now, luckily, um, as a historian, you're, you get kind of used to that. Uh, the funding isn't there. The budget isn't there. Uh, you hear that a lot. But... That doesn't mean the game's over. Um, you know, that that's really an important point to press. Uh, I was a pretty nerdy kid in school, so I heard a lot of no's when I asked girls out on dates. Got kind of used to it. So that's helped me become a better entrepreneur. 
See, taking a negative and turning it into a positive. That's what it's all about. If you take a negative and you just rag on it and you think about it for far too long, it's going to defeat you. You just have to let that slide off your back and move on to the next thing. That's with everything in life, really, in my opinion. If you can drown out the negative and start focusing on the positive, it's a lot better for you. And if you can create your own positive, your own positivity, that's when you get in that lane and you just set the cruise control and you just roll down the highway. Now, you are going to hit some potholes, obviously. Some things fall through. Uh, you know, uh, like, for example, for me, once in a while, I don't have a podcast guest. Uh, they may back out at the last minute because they have an emergency or because of a family issue or because they're sick. That's fine. You roll with it. You don't give up. Uh, you just say, well, I'll do one with someone else or I'll do one on my own. Now, I'm not telling you why I'm doing this one. I had this planned. But once in a while, you just got to roll with the punches, right? You can't give up. You got to keep going. That's with anything. But it's very important for me to tell the students out there of history, you younger students, those of you between the ages of, let's say, 16 and 22, it's very important for you to find your niche sooner or later. Society is going to tell you, you need to know exactly what you're going to do by the time you graduate high school, or you need to know exactly what you're going to do by the time you graduate college. That's what society tells you. What do you tell you? That's the voice I want you to listen to. Don't listen to the noise. Listen to the voice inside of you. What do you want to do? And how do you want to do it? I was in my late 30s here before I decided to break out and do my own thing. I was 37 when I decided I was going to make this into a business a year ago. Okay? If I would have told 22-year-old John, you're not going to want to know, you're not going to know what you want to do truly until you're 37 years old. I would have laughed at you because I would have thought, well, then I'm not going to be anything or I'm going to be a loser because society would have told me that. It's very important, and this is cross, across the board. doesn't matter if you're a historian, you're selling sneakers, whatever. I want you to understand this. Self-awareness is the key. Listen to the voice inside of you. What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? How are you going to accomplish it? And start pressing. Start pressing forward. Make life about something bigger than yourself and be passionate about it. That's been the key to me in the first year of being in business for myself. And I'm not saying it's been successful 24 hours a day. There have been fallbacks. There have been times where... I've questioned myself, but when I've questioned myself has been when others or society as a whole whole, has said it won't work. Never once have I questioned myself because of a voice inside of me. It's always been the voice of other people 
getting inside of me. Okay? As an independent historian, that's important. Especially when you hear people who have worked in the system for 20 years, 30 years, have that tenure track position, have that archival job and getting ready for retirement. They're going to tell you one thing from time to time, but latch on to the dreamers. If you're an independent-minded person, latch on to those people. Be around people who are positive, especially when it comes to what you want to do. If they look at you and say, you're doing something great, this is awesome, hang around those people. That's very, very important. For me, as a person who had problems with alcohol, uh, I have to hang around positive people. Uh, That doesn't mean I hang around yes men or yes women. It just means I hang around people who are dreamers. I hang around people who understand where I come from, that I'm willing to try anything to get history out there to the masses. That's so very important. I can't be around people who are just always on the negative side of things or saying something won't work, even though they don't understand the thing that I'm trying to tell them. It's very important. Self-awareness is key to everything. It doesn't matter if you're going to be an independent historian or you're going to be that archivist. You have to be self-aware. You have to, you know, protect yourself by surrounding yourself with positivity. Life is what you make it. And I am really glad that I've been able to make this project work for the first year. This was kind of like the test. Can this last a year? And guess what? Now I'm asking the same question. Can this last another year? It's not, oh, it lasts a year and now we're good to go. It's, okay, let's get through the next year. Let's do this differently and get through the next year. It's always a challenge. And as an independent historian, it's a bigger challenge than a lot of people think. Because you're going against the norm of something that has been around for generations and generations. And that is a field which has been entrenched in a lot of different areas of our mindset and of our culture. People look at me funny when I say I'm trying to teach history on seven different platforms and apps. Uh, they, they're like, well, aren't you on Facebook? And I said, yes. And I'm also on six others. That's the key. Always trying to find the audience get that attention towards the historical narrative, and move forward. For the second year of the Tattoo Historian as a business, um, I want to keep broadening that. I want to keep doing more stuff, and I want to keep getting more collaborative efforts. That list that I listed off a little while ago, I want that thing to be three times that long next year. When I come on here for my second year roundup, I want that thing to be three times as long. And I want to give people the props and the shout-outs that they deserve. And, uh, you know, I think that's a very, very important thing to think about going forward. But I want to end on this note. I could not have gotten this far without you guys. Without you all listening, without you all on those platforms, liking, sharing, private messaging me, uh, direct messaging me, retweeting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could not have gotten this far without you guys being a part of the process. I mean that. People say that 
you know, big time musicians will say that on the stage that we wouldn't be up here without you. I hope they mean that because it's true. Now, I'm not a big time musician. I'm not going to be on a concert tour or anything like that. But I'm telling you, as a person involved in history in this way, if I don't have an audience, and if I don't have people who truly believe in the project, this is gone. And you guys have been keeping me going. You guys have been challenging me to do better, to do more. And uh, I just want to give you more as we go forward. I have a lot in, in the works. I have more meetings lined up than I ever have before. My calendar is getting pretty full. And uh, time is getting tight. But I love every minute of it. And I've loved every minute of this first year of being in business for myself as an independent historian. So I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of the process, for listening to my podcasts. If you're on any of the social media sites and you're following me on there, you know, thank you for doing that. Thank you for tuning into my live streams that I often do. Thank you for coming to the battlefield cleanups that I do. Just, just thank you for being a part of the process. You guys need to understand that, that I truly mean that. And when I meet you in person and you say to me, hey, I follow you online, I always thank you. I always do. Because it does mean a lot to me. So guys, I appreciate your time. Uh, this, is, this has just been a way for me to come on here and thank you and thank these organizations for the first year of me being in business and for collaborating with me and for believing in me. And for understanding that this is my therapy and understanding that this is my legacy that I'm trying to solidify in the next 20, 30 years. Uh, this is something I want to leave behind. I want to be like Dr. Carmichael said at the one at the uh, Tattoo Historian Presents at the Gary Owen. He said, I want to be a term. Meaning when they put the terms on the board, he's going to be one of those terms in the history class. And I didn't realize it until that moment, but... It's something that I want as well. It's part of that legacy. It's not an ego thing. It's just I want to be remembered for something. Something good in a field that I've loved since the age of eight. 30 years that I've given to this field in one way or another. You know, of course, when you're eight or nine, you're not in the field, but you're studying. You're learning. So it has been... Uh, my passion since I was a child and I want to give back to it because it helped save me. And without you all out there, you know, doing what you do and following along, this wouldn't be possible. And I truly mean that. So guys, until next week, I hope you will tune in. I hope you will share the podcast. I hope you will subscribe to it, like it, rate it. Um, I intend to have more interviews coming up here with all kinds of different people. I'm lining new people up, and we're going to have a great time. So again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this process. And let's go into year number two in our lane here and set it on cruise control. Thanks, guys. <laughs>